Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. Are you one of the people on social media who keeps asking me about my hair? Well, I hacked it. In fact, I've had so many questions about this that I combined the most useful Bulletproof Radio episodes about hair for you. This includes what's new, what works, and what you can realistically expect no matter what you're going to do, whether you're talking about peptides, nutrition, removing toxins, changing stress, or doing what I did, moving follicles around on your head. Dr. Alan Bauman, MD, did my own procedures at Bauman Medical and taught me a lot of this stuff. He's a hair restoration physician, hair transplant surgeon who's treated more than 30,000 patients and done more than 9,000 procedures. There's also excerpts from Dr. Sophia Kogan, who's co-founder and chief medical advisor at Nutrafol, who talks about new research about women's hair loss and thinning specifically. She gets into just how much hormones, nutrition, and stress affect hair health and how nutraceuticals can make a difference. I think you're going to get a lot of value from this episode. If you care about your hair, no matter what age you are, no matter whether you're a man or a woman, there's a ton of stuff we know now that we didn't know before, and I've got two of the world's top experts here for you. Today's guest, she's an expert, uh, she's a physician uh, from SUNY Downstate Medical School in Brooklyn, where she studied dermatology, and she's an expert in hair. Dr. Kogan, or Sophie, uh, also has a personal story here because she had hair loss due to an eating disorder and just the stress of medical training, and it turns out stress and hair loss are integrally linked. She's the chief medical officer of Nutrafol, a company that focuses on science beyond hair loss and what you can do with uh, plant compounds and naturally occurring things to take control of that. Sophie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dave. I'm super excited to be here to talk about a topic that I, you know, that is very dear, near and dear to my heart, um, and to share a lot of the science that we've been, uh, a lot of the news and the science that we've been learning uh, here at Nutrafol. So I'm going to boil it down to a single question. Why do people lose hair? Oof. You know, like that's one, one answer with 7,000 hours. <laughs> so, but, but give me the top level, like, like what's going on with, with hair loss? People lose hair for a multitude of reasons. The thing is that there's no one cause. And that's one of the things that's different about how um, of an integrative perspective versus a, a Western medical perspective. We're always looking for this one cause of something. And that leads to targeted drugs that target only single pathways. Alan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, David. It's great to be here. What do you think? Should we talk about this for like men versus women or is this more of like a hair biology thing? Because men and women are different. Well, you know, when hair loss occurs, it looks different in men and women. And so that's why there's a difference. The genetically, um, androgenetic alopecia is the condition that can affect both men and women, but it looks different. It expresses itself different. The phenotype, right? How it looks in a male and female gender is going to okay. be different. Let's talk about the scalp treatment specifically, because I think that's for, for both genders. And then we're going to get into like men sure. versus women. Yeah, scalp health is so important. I mean, okay. do you know what the most commonly used shampoo is in the world? Like the most popular shampoo? Jeez, uh, suave or something. So actually it's head and shoulders. Oh, okay. Um, so and the reason that is, big of an issue? yeah, so dandruff and itching happens to over 50% of people, 50% of the time. So it's a huge, wow. it's a huge problem. And scalp irritation, just about everybody gets some at some point. Yeah. And so um, I think it's like um, 110 uh, 
thousand bottles per minute or something are sold. I mean, that's it's ridiculous. Like, yeah, you know, I, I can give you the data, but uh, it's it's a it's unbelievable. Scalp health is a wow. big problem, and we know now that there's a direct link between scalp health and the inflammation that's going on. Totally, and the production at the level of the hair follicle. Uh, so over the course of the last, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, we've thought that DHT is the only implicated uh, pathway in hair loss. But now research shows that that's not the case, that basically there's inflammation, that there's stress, there's environmental assaults. Uh, uh, and more and more as we as research evolves and there's a huge surge in research today um, because it's such a such a great area of interest. Um, is uh, that there are innumerable amounts of pathways. So the number of signaling molecules that are and pathways that are uh, responsible for both hair growth and hair loss are so many that it would be impossible to think that there's one targeted uh, uh, intervention or one cause in itself. So any dysregulation to those pathways will cause hair loss. And it could come from multiple factors. For someone listening to this saying, look, I want my hair to be just thicker and not fall out, like, give me the Cliff's notes. Uh, given that we're looking at potentially hundreds or thousands of variables, what are the top three variables to pay attention to? I think that the top three variables are stress, inflammation, and hormones. In my experience, red light definitely grows hair and putting on the head's a good thing. Is it going to be enough? If say someone hasn't started losing their hair, they're saying, "Oh, I'm you know okay, I'm 25. Maybe I'm seeing a little bit. Maybe I'm you know just detecting something going at the crown of the head." Do they, if they just start using red light and washing their hair with the right stuff, is that going to be enough to stave it off for a while? So laser therapy does work well to block the effects of male pattern and female pattern hair loss. Okay. It definitely optimizes the follicle for sure. The main problem, though, and we'll talk about this with all the non-invasive therapies, is that you need the follicle. Mm -hmm. in order for any of these non-invasive treatments to be effective. So if the follicles died, it's too late. If the follicles, yeah, can be beyond repair, let's say, uh, you know, you're not going to have an effect there. So if you already have a receding hairline and you're hoping that the laser is going to grow back the hairline, well, that's really not going to happen to so, you. So how would you get a new follicle there? Well, in those cases, we have to transplant okay. for sure. Yeah. And so transplant, I remember I, I first read about these in 20, 20, probably when you first started doing this in 25 years ago, I'm like, that seems so painful. They're going to take a big strip of skin and just move it and staple it onto your forehead. Like that's not something I would be interested in doing. But in the course of, prep, of preparing for our interview and all, I, I didn't understand that you can actually move a single follicle at a time, basically. Yeah, so this is not a pluggy, painful, ugly-looking procedure anymore. We're going to move literally down to as little as a single follicle to recreate a 100% natural result. You're basically taking follicles that don't fall out with male pattern balls, things Correct. from the side, and you put them where the things that are already dead are, and then you keep them alive by doing the things I should have done when I was younger that we didn't even, that didn't exist. Well, the transplanted hair is pre-programmed pre to live forever. It's not going to be affected by the male pattern hair loss process. How, it's not going to be affected by your how does, hormones. How does that happen? How does it get pre-programmed? Is that just from where it grew? In the where scalp? they're located? Yes. So okay. the so the viable donor zone, which is where we're going to take the hair from, lives mm -hmm. around the sides and the back of your head. Okay. So the occipital zone, right, by the occipital bone, okay. those hairs in men and women are relatively permanent. They're not affected by male pattern or female pattern hair loss. So when we take those follicles and we put them in the new area, the area that used to have hair, they will live and grow forever. But you still have to protect the other hair. So that's where the other therapies come in. 
tell me about what stress did to your hair. Like I said, there are multiple factors that are implicated in hair loss. Genetics, of course, play a role, and genetics play a role in everything, but there's a strong component of epigenetics. So for me, the stress was the epigenetic component that brought my hair loss into, into progression, into manifestation. Initially, um, I stressed myself by having a, an, an eating disorder <laughs> in the 90s, like a lot of teenagers did. Um, so that kind of triggered it. Uh, the progression of this and I lost a lot of hair which ultimately didn't come back fully until much later in life um, and then I noticed that over the course of my life it was uh, either college and medical school and then residency and then I did another residency those were the times that I would shed the most and those are the times that I would lose the most amount of hair so of course even though I'm genetically predisposed to losing hair, that genetic manifestation came out during those times. And uh, my stress didn't just come from exams. My stress came from the fact that I was really bad in, in college and medical school. I uh, lived and survived on, on Coca-Cola and uh, candy and coffee and tuna fish which of course has a lot of mercury. So in addition to the psycho-emotional stress of, of studying for exams and, and, uh, and in residency, not sleeping and you know, all those things that compound, I also had a lot of toxins in my body and a very dysregulated uh, uh, and compromised gut. Um, so as a result, of course, I manifested in a lot of hair loss. So there is such a thing called telogen effluvium. That's a diagnosis that Western medicine does recognize as stress-related, and that could be a physical stressor or a psycho-emotional stressor. And what happens is that um, normally a hair follicle cycles through a growth phase, which is we call antigen, um, regression phase catagen, and resting phase telogen, and then it goes into exogen, which is hair fallout. Unlike um, animals that have a synchronized cycle, so for instance, animals uh, can shed all of their fur at the same time, seasonally, and then grow new fur. Our cycle is uh, not synchronized, and so lucky for us because we're not shedding all of our hair going bald and then regrowing it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So all these hair follicles are in different stages and they have a very finely tuned biological clock. Each hair follicle, imagine this, has a very own biological clock that tells it when to go into each phase of the cycle. When we suffer from an acute stress, such as a, you know, an illness, a surgery, or a death of a loved one, uh, a breakup, or maybe a big move or something like that, or a sudden weight loss, um, the majority of the follicles or a big portion of the follicles can suddenly are shifted into the resting phase telogen. Right. Well, the good news today is that there's so many other options besides yeah. finasteride okay. to really impart uh, more strength and health to the hair follicle. What about minoxidil? So the main issue with minoxidil, or at least in the Rogaine and the generic Rogaine varieties, and even the online pharmacies, is that it's going to be a pretty greasy, gooey, sometimes very irritating messy protocol. So you keep your hair, but you have greasy hair. Yeah, or greasy scalp or or even in worst case scenario, some kind of irritation or inflammation. Okay. So we've got kind of a fix for that too. Working with a compounding pharmacy, we create a different version of minoxidil okay. that has a, a different variety of ingredients uh, to make it penetrate better, make it less greasy, less gooey to avoid some of that inflammation. Okay. And that's formula 82M. 
Um, what are the hair supplements that you've found, or at least the the like things like biotin and or zinc, or what what are the things that people need to take to have healthy hair? So I think most people know that biotin and zinc is going to help with hair. Unfortunately, there's not a huge amount of data in the clinical literature, but biotin has been shown to improve keratin production, uh, which is basically that hard dead protein that your fingers and nails or their fingernails and, okay. and and hair is made of. Um, a lot of that information is actually in the veterinary medicine literature, you know, for racehorses and such to show that biotin supplementation improved with hoof uh, strength of and things course. like that. And of course, if, you, if you're investing in thoroughbreds, you want good hoofs and well, such. But first, so fingernails have been shown to improve in thickness when you're on okay. biotin. And certainly we've measured really nice improvements with biotin supplementation in the office. So we prescribe a super biotin. Yeah, you, you 10, make 10,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably one of the most exciting therapies that we have is platelet-rich plasma that okay. has come of age uh, really within the recent years. Um, that's really the workhorse of regenerative medicine. And I know you've heard about that in terms of sports yep. medicine for joints and even for wound repair and skin rejuvenation. And we've leveraged those platelet-rich plasma treatments and the growth factors that they provide for better hair regrowth. Can you cause follicles that are affected just by, by thinning or shedding can you make them wake back up? Can you recover them, restore them, you know, turn them into super hair follicles? Like, <laughs> what, what hope do we have? Absolutely. Uh, the key is to restore the body, to restore the body. And by restoring the body, you restore the follicles. Every organ has an ability to heal itself, given the proper conditions. And when and, and this is what you talk about all the time, the biohacking. And so having the ability to counter, uh, to support the adrenal glands, to decrease cortisol levels, to decrease inflammation, um, or rather rebalance cortisol levels, sorry, um, to decrease inflammation, counter oxidative stress and the hormonal imbalances, you will ultimately rebalance the environment of the follicle and the systems of the body support them. And as a result, uh, support the follicle in its recovery. Is there lab tests that people should get to know if cortisol is high? So there's many lab tests that you can do. So it's not that the cortisol is high. So sometimes cortisol is high and sometimes cortisol is low. When somebody has been producing cortisol over a long period of time, eventually the adrenals get fatigued and then there's less production of cortisol. So then there's a whole other slew of issues that happens. Um, so the key is to actually, um, see where that system is dysregulated and you can do salivary cortisol tests. We also in our, um, here at Nutrafol, what we do is we've implemented something called the hair mineral analysis test. So we help our customers figure out what are the stressors and, um, that are in their system, actually looking at the hair itself. Um, the hair mineral analysis looks at a variety of different uh, minerals and, and heavy metals and the patterns. And so it can actually tell you what organ systems may be stressed. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. 
Um, okay, so you're finding aluminum is an issue, but mercury is the biggest issue. And the problem is if we don't eat fish, we don't get the omega-3 fatty acids. And if you're short on EPA and DHA, what does that do to your hair? Well, first of all, these are anti-inflammatory, so it helps right. mitigate the inflammation in the body. So obviously, as long as you're getting, uh, if you don't have a good balance of your omegas, you're going to have a pro-inflammatory state, which will ultimately compound the hair loss issue. So you do want to get those omegas, but you want to try to eat fish that is small. So I think the key is to minimize consumption of large fish. Um, and tuna is large, shark is large, and most people don't eat shark, but you find shark in some supplements and even hair supplements. So you need to be careful to minimize consumption of large fish. At the same time, you could consume fish, but use you know sardines or other small fish. I'm a big fan of sardines actually, or take a supplement with omega-3. Um, I, I know you can speed surgical healing with red light and with peptides with ozone. Uh, so are there specific peptides that you use in the practice? So what's old is really what's new again. So my story about peptides goes back to 1999. In 1999, we were using copper peptides yep. to help wound healing and stimulate hair regrowth after hair transplant surgery. Wow. So it's been a long, long time with uh, copper peptides. And that was basically like a blue looking solution. It came with a whole take home kit of gauze and sprays and gels that people would use after their hair transplant procedure. Now, of course, in those days, we had a row of stitches uh, in the back of their scalp that they needed to heal. Ouch. So the wound healing was a little bit more traumatic. Obviously, since FUE, follicular unit extraction, the technology has changed dramatically and the wound healing takes much less time, very little discomfort. In fact, we don't even prescribe Schedule II narcotics anymore for years now. Okay. Uh, you wouldn't need it. I'm I'm intrigued that all this is possible because I still had kind of this idea that you know they just take a big chunk from the back of your head and move it to the front, and that's gone. Correct. And that's not what we do anymore. I, I, one of the things that fascinates me about biohacking is just the speed of exponential change and what we can do with medicine. Where do you see hair transplants 10 years from today? So I think really hair restoration, first of all, has, you're right, has changed so much just within the past five or 10 years yeah. going from a, such an invasive process to something minimally invasive. And I, I'm really proud to be a part of that minimally invasive you've, you've been a leader uh, on that. pioneer yeah. on that. Um, but I really see the medical management of hair loss as be the, the key location that a lot of changes are going to be made. So being able to track your own hair over time, because as I said earlier in mm -hmm. the, uh, in the, in the uh, discussion, you can lose 50% of your hair without it being noticeable to the naked eye. And your best chance at preserving the hair you have is before those follicles have kind of kicked the bucket, so to speak. So okay. the ways that we measure and monitor hair loss, for example, in the clinic using a hair check tool, which is a non-invasive way to measure how much hair is growing in a given area of scalp. And some of our new microscopes, which can immediately assess density mm -hmm. and hair caliber without trimming any hair, is going to give you a metric of whatever you're doing, whatever you're trying to do to hack your hair, you're going to know the response if you give it enough time. So let's call okay. it three months. You come back, we're going to be able to tell you exactly how your hair is changing and how much and where. Self-care is extremely important. We have to find time. Uh, it, it's important. We have apps now that we can use, so that's really helpful. So lifestyle modifications, of course, good diet uh, is important, uh, uh, and eating healthy foods that are not inflammatory, protecting our gut, um, excluding foods that are pro-inflammatory that stress our gut and ultimately contribute to the overall stress load for the body, um, as well as uh, taking uh, 
adaptogens. So I think adaptogens are extremely important. Um, this is something that Western medicine has not caught on to because it doesn't fully recognize that the stress, maladaptive stress response is responsible for maybe over 90% of chronic disease. So we haven't yet, as a medical society, caught up to the fact that there are these wonderful uh, botanical uh, gifts that we have from Mother Earth that we can use. And especially now when we have the technology available to us to extract those phytoactives and make them more bioavailable and bioactive. So things like, uh, so extracts like ashwagandha, we use ashwagandha for instance, but there are others as well, like rhodiola, reishi mushrooms and everything else. They have the ability to actually uh, rebalance the stress response to support both the neurological stress response and also the physiological stress response, which is kind of unique to them. And they're also non-toxic. So that's one of the definitions of an adaptogen is they're non-toxic, but they have a, a an ability to re modulate or rebalance rather than have a directed action. So they have a non-directed action um, and uh, they, they basically help you build resistance to stress. So you include ashwagandha in Nutrafol as a supplement strategy, but if you're not at least meditating or taking deep breaths or doing something and you're tweaking in your lifestyle, you might expect thinning hair. I think that you need to do all of those things. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I think taking it, we're all used to, that's just kind of the way we think in Western medical society or sorry, Western society is that we take a pill and everything gets better. So yes, taking ashwagandha is important, but also implementing these small incremental changes in your life, like you said, gratitude, uh, uh, meditation, yoga, even joy in itself, hobbies, um, to to, to sort of decrease that stress, to mitigate that stress response are very important. Good healthy diet and these wonderful adaptogenic herbs and anti-inflammatories. How many women get hair transplants, not counting eyelashes and eyebrows? So even though um, through the door, which we see about a thousand patients per year, it's about 50% men, 50% women, almost equal in consultation. But many fewer women are good candidates for hair transplant surgery. Mm -hmm. um, and this is typically because, well, number one, they're realizing that they're, I would say the women are a little bit more proactive than the men in terms of their health. Okay. And so uh, they're feeling that changes in their hair maybe more quickly. They may notice that their ponytail volume is changing or, or that they're having excessive shedding. Like, like having a baby will trash your hair like no one's business, right? Absolutely. So it could start even after puberty with birth right. control. It can start with uh, having children or around the time of menopause or even a right. crash diet can change your hair. Yeah, for sure. Or, or changing or your work hormones. schedule, right. like staying up at night and things like right. that. Well, okay, let's... Let's talk about, okay, let's talk about some of the things that women can do. And then I want to really go in on circadian biology because you know, David Sinclair has been on talking about resetting the clock. Sachin Panda has been on. So we'll get into sleep and hair, but just what are the, what are the things that women can do specifically to protect their hair? Um, and what, what do you say if someone comes in, okay, you know, oh, you have thin hair uh, and you're not a, a candidate to move hairs around on your head. What, like what, what, what are the things are that they there? Can do? Yeah. Well, the first thing is that um, they have to get an evaluation by a hair restoration physician. So this may okay. not be their local dermatologist who doesn't see many hair patients or doesn't have technology to measure or evaluate exactly okay. what's going on. So getting in touch with someone who can actually measure and evaluate their situation is the first most important and, step. And what are the top three metrics you need to look at? So when the person comes in, we're going to get uh, their medical history. Okay. So we want to know our, what are the risk factors 
Are, is there some scalp symptoms like itchy, burning, flaking, oily, dry scalp, some sort? Okay. Is there medical conditions like hormone imbalance, as you mentioned, thyroid in yourself, but thyroid problems in women are very common. Is there the use of medications like birth control, hormone replacement? Are they on um, blood pressure medications, um, cholesterol medications, mood modulators, all of those things, which are very, very common in today's society tend to disrupt the hair follicle function. Okay. So we're going to take a complete inventory of their health status, run blood tests if we need to, uh, look at their scalp to see what's exactly going on. Is there a patterned distribution to the hair loss when we do those measurements? Is it better in the back of the scalp and not so good up at the front or in the temples? Is there a hereditary tendency? Is it something in the family that we can identify? Mom's side or dad's okay. side it can come through both sides of the family skip generations, skip siblings. So we want to get an inventory okay. of that. And then we're going to measure different areas. We're going to look at the back of the scalp versus the front with the hair check tool. It's a, basically, it's a cross-sectional bundle measurement, right. non-invasive. So it makes a small bundle, squeezes it, gives us a cross-sectional area without any trimming. And we compare that good zone, the occipital or back wow. of the scalp to other areas. And we can tell them, hey, you've lost 30% of your hair, that 40%, that's why your part line is looking a little bit wider. So super quantitative. Yeah, I had absolutely. no idea. Okay. Yeah. So you're going to go through all that and then we'll look with the microscope and we'll be able to see, you know, think of the, the head of hair as like a forest of trees. Is it depleted of trees or is it more oak than birch or more birch than oak? What's going on? Okay. So once we figure all that out, then we'll know, do we need to protect, preserve, or restore? Okay. And the treatment regimen is basically designed to accomplish those things. Okay. Based on her goals. Tell me about what happens inside the hair follicle when hair starts to get thin. Um, so what's really cool, and maybe not cool for us, for the hair loss, but what we do know is that hair follicles actually have their own functional mechanisms for producing hormones, for producing cortisol. So we know that in the, the whole body, you know, we have the hypothalamus, it tells the adrenal, the pituitary gland to secrete uh, ACTH, it tells the uh, which tells the adrenal glands to secrete cortisol. So we know that that's the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary axis. It is actually exactly replicated in the follicle itself. And that's something that is research only recently showed. So that when the follicle is stimulated from the outside by cortisol, by corticotropin releasing hormones, it actually has its own ability to produce that cortisol itself and can also uh, use this mechanism to adapt to stress, which of course, stacks the cortisol on top of cortisol, and what happens is that it actually um, dysregulates the surrounding in immune responses. It produces more inflammation, it uh, stimulates mast cells to degranulate and to release uh, inflammatory molecules that will cause apoptosis, cell death, and uh, also early induction of catagen, which is the regression phase and, and inhibit hair growth. Um, the other brain follicle connection is that uh, our nerves. So we have a really wide, awesome meshwork of nerves that surrounds the follicles in the skin. That's why we feel things. You know, that's why the follicles stand up or the hair stands up on our hands. Or that's why, for instance, eczema or psoriasis get worse when, when you're stressed out because of that direct connection to the nerves. So the nerves will release... Um, uh, neuroimmunomodulatory neuro uh, uh, substances such as nerve growth factor and substance P, um, which will uh, actually in some cases for, for women, I believe that that's the reason why they feel these uh, dysesthesias during hair loss or during certain types of hair loss. They feel actual tingling or pain in the, in the hair around the hair follicles. 
Um, I believe that that's in relationship to these neurological uh, mechanisms. But basically, the the systems, the the, the brain gets you know hyperactive. It sends down signals. Um, these nerves, they release the uh, these factors, and which also stimulate the mast cells to degranulate and create more inflammation. But also, um, they at the same time um, compromise what is called the follicle immune privilege. The follicles have a unique system because they're a conduit between the environment and the internal body system. They have a unique way of protecting themselves from inflammation by having this immune privilege. But as a result of the what's been shown is that substance P, for instance, this you know neuromodulatory, neuroimmunomodulatory or neuroimmune substance that's released from the nerves can actually compromise that. Uh, that it can actually compromise that immune privilege, which allows the follicles to be ex uh, um, exposed to more inflammation or to trigger inflammation in the body. And that has been linked to certain types of hair loss in itself, like alopecia areata or scarring alopecia, but also is obviously a process that can uh, manifest in other types of hair loss. I found that if I shampoo like once a week or less, uh, my hair is way happier. But if I wash it you know, every time I take a shower, it, it dries out it doesn't do well no matter what shampoo i do so i'm like here you can chill what's interesting is that in europe um they've done these studies and it's like once or twice a week maybe they would shampoo and here in the u.s sometimes we shampoo twice a day you know wow. if you're going to the gym and things like that and depending on the styling products you know so there's a wide variation uh geographically in the world how often people shampoo I, but there's also new trends like for uh -huh. example um a Curly-haired uh, folks find that uh, if they use a very sudsy or high sur surfactancy type of shampoo, it frizzes out the curls and it doesn't right. leave it with nice conditioning or, or manageability. So they will use a conditioning wash or co-wash system. And uh, that's that can be tricky. That means you're using just a conditioner in the shower mm -hmm. on your hair and hopefully rinsing all that out. And then using some kind of a clarifying shampoo or or cleansing conditioner on an intermittent basis. It could be once a week or every other week. Okay. So there's a lot of nuance in between, um, depending on what kind of pro you know. Because you say, well, how often should you shampoo? Well, it kind of depends on what you're using to wash your hair. Years of focusing on this, I can tell you have a real passion for it. You got all the toys, all the data, um, all the different ways of getting at this very complex system a systemic or systems biology problem. It's not just one thing. And that's why when I tried to pin you down on, on a few of the things, like what's the right amount of time to shampoo or whatever you're saying, well, it depends, which is an educated answer here. So thank you for practicing your art. Why I feel so good about what we do is because we are helping a lot of people deal with their, um, by, you know, we're doing this through actually rebalancing the inside out. And then doing that, you're making feel, people feel healthier. And, and, and I think hair is important, but, uh, and it has a huge psychological impact, especially on women. But we also have to keep those other things in mind, like making, being authentic, you know, being empathic, being joyful, being happy with yourself as the most, as, as some of the looking at the beauty within in a way because you're always looking at the beauty without yes hair is important it's going to shape our face it's going to make us look better whatever but that then there's tons of beautiful bald women out there or bald men don't feel at all uh you know shouldn't be feeling bad or compromised or in any way different than the ones who do have hair it's just that it's a great bonus but it's not the most important thing in life <laughs> 
totally agree. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and explaining the difference between what's going on in men and women. And it's been a fun interview. Ah, thank you so much, Dave. <laughs> bye bye. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.